We just have a couple of questions to start with, and then we'll get into the tour of samsara. So, um, somebody's saying, you know, the Lockerbie bombing was indeed terrible. It happened 10 years before I was born, but it brings chills down my spine. But it does ring a question. What is the difference between accepting reality and sucking it up? Sucking it up means you haven't really accepted reality, but you're just uh, consciously trying to, um, you know, push down your emotions. Accepting uh, reality means you know, you've accepted it, you're not fighting it anymore. When someone attains the stage of stream-enterer, once-enterer, non-returner, are they able to go into the bodhisattva path? Um, If before they become a stream-enterer, when they're on the path of preparation, they can switch over to the bodhisattva path, or after they become an arhat, they can switch over. But once they become an arya in the, um, in the uh, hero or solitary realizer vehicle, then they uh, follow that until they ta- attain arhatship. They don't uh, change in the middle of being an arya. So free will lacks independent existence? Yeah. Of course. What? Do you think free will means you can do anything you want? Does free will mean that I can just start talking Chinese right now? I have free will, so I can do anything I want. So I'll start talking Chinese. I I can't talk Chinese. Okay. So... Uh, you know, things are dependent on causes and conditions. Free will doesn't mean that that you don't need causes and conditions. Okay? I, I mean, can I decide that I'm going to fly right now? Yeah, I have free will. I'll take off right now. Yeah? Okay. So free will doesn't mean that that, you know, there's no causes and conditions, or that you can do whatever you want and there's no results from your actions. You know, causality always exists. At least on the conventional level. Okay, now our tour of the realms of existence in samsara. So, uh... I wish I had pictures of it. Um, in the, if you have the full drawing of the Wheel of Life, it has pictures. So we'll just uh, do do a brief excursion through all the places and types of bodies that we've been born in multiple times in our samsaric existence. So they say that all of us have gone up and down in samsara, been born as everything. We've done everything except practice the Dharma. 
And so that's why we're still in samsara. So as beings in cyclic existence or samsara, we are born in different realms of existence. A realm is primarily the five aggregates projected by our karma, although it also includes the environment. All of these are considered true dukkha. One way of expressing the realms of samsara is the scheme of the three realms, okay? So beings in the desire realm are, that's the first, are completely immersed in objects that are attractive to the uh, six senses. They are obsessed with fulfilling their desires by possessing those objects. And this is the realm in which we presently live. Quite obvious, isn't it? You know, I mean, every our life, everybody's life around us is completely involved with the external world, you know, and how we relate to it, what we, if we like what we see and hear and smell and taste and touch and think about, or if we don't like those things and we're trying to control what's happening on the outside so that we experience happiness and not pain and, yeah, is completely addicted to objects of the senses. Then the second realm is the form realm, and it comprises beings who have attained the four levels of single-pointed concentration or meditative stabilization. So these four levels are called the four dhyanas in Sanskrit or four jhanas in Pali. And then the formless realm consists of beings in even, even deeper states of meditative absorption, such that they do not have bodies. Okay, this is according to Sutrayana. While these realms are manifestations of our karma, they are not merely projections of mind or metaphors for states we experience as human beings. When we are born in a realm, it appears as real to us as our present human life and environment appears to us now. So when some people have difficulty accepting these different realms, sometimes teachers will explain it as like states of mind, okay? And you can see that different mental states, uh, when they become so strong, they would create your environment. But the realms are not just mental states, they are the, the place to where we're, we're, we are uh, born. And they appear real to you, okay? So it's not just like, oh, I'm dreaming and I know I'm dream dreaming, yeah? I mean, if you're born as an animal or an insect, that, that's your reality in that life, okay? You're not sitting there thinking, oh, now I finally know that, yes, human beings can be reborn as stink bugs. You're not thinking that. You're totally, you're a stink bug. And all that occupies your mind are what those bugs think about. Okay? That's your reality. So sentient beings in samsara can be subdivided into six classes. So the three realms is one way. The six classes are another way. From the highest to the lowest, they are the devas, 
also called gods or celestial beings. And here, all the devas are grouped together as one class. So there's uh, desire realm devas, form realm devas, and formless realm devas. Those three are, are very different, but they're grouped together as one because they're all called devas. Okay. The second uh, of the six realms are the asuras, or the anti-gods. Okay. Um, so they're kind of like the devas, but they're the lower class ones. So they're very jealous of the devas, and they fight with them constantly. Okay. Then the third uh, uh, class is human beings. We know that one. Um, and there's other types of human beings besides the ones on our planet. Then the hungry ghosts, yeah, and uh, that's the fourth. Then the fifth is animals, although sometimes those two are reversed, and animals is listed as the fourth and hungry ghosts as the, um, as the second. No, animals are listed as the third, and hungry ghosts is the second. And then hell beings, okay? Um, so sometimes the devas and asuras are considered as one, in which case then there's five classes of samsaric beings. Okay, then another way to divide this, yeah, is the three realms can be expanded into 33 classes of beings, or also called planes of existence. Yeah, and there's different ways sometimes of dividing these 33 or different ways of talking about the different realms. Um, so this is the, the one um, pretty much used in the uh, Pali tradition. Okay, so these planes of existence. So the the big, you know, group or the big um, we could call the the realm is the formless realm. Okay, so starting from the highest of this formless realm, you have the peak of samsara, which is also called neither discrimination nor non-discrimination. And so those beings are in very different, deep states of samadhi, so much so that they really don't even discriminate or not discriminate, okay? Then the uh, one below that is called nothingness or the base of nothingness, and their object of meditation is nothingness, Okay? The, then the one below that is infinite consciousness. So their object of, med of meditation is the, like seeing consciousness as infinite. And the one below that is called infinite space. And their object of meditation is seeing space as infinite. Okay? So these, these three are if you want to be spaced out, this is where you want to be born, okay? You are so much into your infinite everything that, and you're single-pointed on it, that, that that becomes your whole existence, okay? So you're free from gross suffering, which is nice. But you can't sit and think about the Dharma in, in that mental state.
Okay. Ordinary beings are born in these four uh, realms of the or the four levels of the or four planes of the formless realm due to invariable karma. That is, in the immediate preceding light, life, they attain the corresponding level of meditative absorption. Okay, so let's say they were a human being in the immediately preceding life. They meditated, you know, they developed serenity. They went through the four dhyanas, and then they went into these four, and as high as they got in their meditation, then it's called invariable karma, because once you get to that plane of existence in your meditation, you are born in that same plane of samsara. So it doesn't vary. If you arrive at that level of concentration, you get born in that realm you, uh, or level. You don't get born higher or lower or anywhere else. Okay, So it's a kind of meritorious or virtuous karma, but uh, it directs you exactly to the level of meditation that you attained as a human being. So lacking a coarse body, these beings have only the four mental aggregates. So they're free of this kind of thing, which is nice, yeah? They remain in deep states of meditative absorption for eons, experiencing no coarse suffering at all. So for some people, this is where they want to be reborn because it's just you're free of coarse suffering, you're in your meditative equipoise. You don't have to relate, relate to these troublesome sentient beings, okay, because you're just zoned out, okay? So these four meditative absorptions are distinguished based on the mental factor of discrimination that accompanies them, which becomes increasingly subtle, culminating in the peak of samsara. These states are so subtle and blissful that some meditators confuse them with liberation. However, when the karma for these rebirths is exhausted, these beings take rebirth in the desire realm again, usually as hell beings, hunger ghosts, or animals. So they were way up there in samsara, but they hadn't they haven't realized emptiness, the emptiness of inherent existence. They haven't purified all the karmic uh, imprints or seeds to be reborn in uh, the lower realms. So as long as the karma to be reborn in these meditative absorptions hasn't uh, run out, they're born there. But as soon as that karma runs out, you know, as they say, whatever goes up comes down. And the karmas that they created in previous lives to be born in the lower realms ripens, and that's where they're born. So it's really excruciating for them to go from these blissful zones down to the lower realms. Okay. Uh, one of my teachers, Kevje Serkam Rinpoche, uh, they took him to the top of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, 
And he made this remark about, you know, oh, this is like samsara. You get to the peak, and the only way you can go is down. Okay. Then the second realm, the form realm, so it consists of the four dhyanas, yeah, or the four jhanas. And so since we're going from the highest to the lowest, we'll start with the fourth dhyana, and it has like subcategories, okay? So it's uh, maybe fourth dhyana is like, a, or the form realm is like uh, a world, and the fourth dhyana is like a, a country, and then the subdivisions are like the states in the country. So it's, it's we're dividing things into subdivisions here. Okay, so there's... Um, the um, first five from 24 to 29 um, are a certain kind of uh, pure realm, or um, what do we didn't call it pure realm. Um, we had another name for it. We'll run into it as we're going, okay? So uh, we call them pure abodes. That's what it was, because 29 is the highest pure abode. So its name is Akanista, the highest. Don't be fooled. There's many different realms called Akanista. Okay? So you have the highest pure abode, the one directly under that called the clear-sighted, below that, the beautiful, below that, the untroubled, below that, the uh, the not great, or which are also called free from afflictions. Okay, and then yeah, so those are the the five pure abodes in the form realm. Then below that, yeah, is the unconscious beings without discrimination. So when we talk about the precious human life, and we come across you know not being born as one of these gods uh, that only has conscious awareness at the moment of birth or death, that's this one, okay? Unconscious beings without discrimination. So ordinary beings who have attained the fourth dhyana and cultivate meditative absorption without discrimination are born here where the beings are non-percipient, so they don't perceive anything, and have no mental activity except at the moments of birth and death. Okay, so you can see why being there might be very nice in terms of uh, your, your present experience, but there's absolutely no chance of practicing the Dharma. Okay. Then uh, below that is the... Uh, part of the fourth dhyana called the great fruit. Below that is increasing merit, and below that is cloudless. Okay, so... Um, okay, so that's that. So then it says ordinary beings are born in these three dhyanas, by the invariable karma of being previous, of having previously attained 
that state of concentration. But it's not clear what those three dhyanas are. Who wrote this anyway? Um, okay, so we'll just skip over that. Um, then the third dhyana. So it has three uh, subdivisions. So the devas of refulgent glory, the devas of measureless glory, the devas of limited glory. So ordinary beings are born in the third dhyana by the invariable karma of having previously attained that state of concentration. So the same as with the uh, fourth dhyana and the same as with the formless realm. Okay. Then the second dhyana, we have the devas of total radiance, the devas of limitless radius, limitless radiance and the devas of limited radiance. And these beings too are born in the second dhyana by the invariable karma of having previously attained the second dhyana, you know, in one of those particular ways. Then the first dhyana, yeah, so this is where the god Brahma is. So there's the, the realm of the great Brahma, Okay, so great Brahma, uh, who mistakenly considers himself the creator of the, of the universe, dwells there. Why does he consider himself the creator of the universe? Because according to the, the evolution of the universe, the higher, uh, the first dhyana appeared first, and then the, uh, you know, the desire realm. So since great Brahma was the first one that appeared in that evolution of the universe, he thought he created everything else. Okay, but he didn't. Okay, so you have the realm of, uh, or the level of great Brahma, then his ministers are directly below him. Okay, it's also called in front of Brahma. And then his retinue is below that, also called the Brahma type. Okay, so these beings are born in the first dhyana by the invariable karma of having previously attained that state of concentration. So the four dhyanas of the form realm differ in terms of the mental factors that accompany them. Okay. And when we get into uh, the next volume, we'll go through all those mental uh, factors. Let me just check if we have the list in the footnote here. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the four dhyanas of the four realm differ in terms of the mental factors that accompany them. The four formless absorptions, okay, differ in terms of their object. Okay, so the first one was neither discrimination or non-discrimination. Then we have uh, nothingness. Then we have limitless consciousness. And then below that, limitless space or infinite space. 
Okay. So that has to do with what their object of meditation is. Only Aryas who are not yet free from samsara are born in the five pure abodes in the fourth dhyana. So those are the ones of 25 to 29. Okay? So those five abodes. Um, Although after non-returners become arhats, they dwell there, uh, usually in the highest pure abode, until attaining the final nirvana, when they attain nirvana without remainder. So the cause for rebirth in, in those pure uh, realms, in those pure abodes, I'm sorry, is the cultivation of alternating concentrations. So this also comes in the next uh, volume. So this is a practice done by Aryas, which first involves entering into an unpolluted fourth dhyana, that level of, of mind, of concentration, then a polluted dhyana, okay, one that's polluted by ignorance. So these are Aryas, okay? They'll go into an unpolluted mental state, then into a polluted mental state, followed by another unpolluted mental dhyana, okay? So they alternate like this, yeah? So this is extremely difficult to do. And the number of times a yogi can go back and forth between unpolluted and polluted dhyanas determines which pure abode he or she will be born in. So can you imagine your concentration is so strong that you can be in an unpolluted state and then control your mind so well that you go to a polluted state and then pull it out of that to go back to an unpolluted state and you can do this very quickly many times? Incredible, you know, when you think about it, what is possible to do with the mind? Yeah. Okay, so Aryas who have attained liberation do these meditations to distance themselves from afflictions even more and to experience bliss in this life. Okay. Shravakas who are non-returners. Okay, so we had the uh, the ones that the non-returners who become arhats who dwell in the in the fourth dhyana, yeah, and they do that by the alternating. That's how they get there. Then the ones who are not not who are non-returners who haven't attained arhatship, they take rebirth in the five pure abodes to experience the specific bliss of uh, the pure abodes. Arya solitary realizers are not born there because they pray in their last life to be born where there is no Buddha. Okay, so they're born, they, that's why they're called solitary realizers. They, they attain arhatship in a place and time where the Buddha hasn't descended and taught the Dharma. Okay. 
So we have the the are the Shravakas who are non-returners, five five pure abodes. Uh, the Arya solitary realizers are not born there. The uh, Arhats who have attained uh, Arhatship in just that life, going from uh, non-returner to Arhatship, they're born in those five. Okay. Then Arya Bodhisattvas are born in the pure abodes to benefit the Shravaka Arhats, thereby encouraging them to enter the Bodhisattva path after they arise from their blissful meditation in Nirvana. So the uh, the Shravaka, uh, you know, by that time they're already stream enters, once returners, non-returners. They can't switch over to the Bodhisattva path. They're too involved. Once you start on that Arya path, you go through to the end. But the Bodhisattvas can appear there and, and relate to them and encourage them to enter the Bodhisattva path after they've attained Arhatship and can arise from that blissful nirvana. I think it must be very difficult to get through to those particular shravakas. Okay, so it has to be a bodhisattva who has a lot of patience, yeah, to get through to them. So the five pure abodes, so you notice the, the five, the bodhisattvas don't get born there. Uh, uh, you know, because of the pleasure of of that state of concentration, you know, their only reason for birth birth there is if they're able to help the beings there. So the five pure abodes are samsaric realms. Okay, they're in the form realm. Yeah, they're samsaric realms. They differ from both the nirmanakaya or emanation body pure lands such as Amitabha Buddha's pure land of Sukhavati and Akshobhya Buddha's pure land of Abhirati. Yeah, they differ from those, and they also uh, differ from the enjoyment body, pure lands, which are not samsaric realms. Oh, Okay. So that's where you have a uh, uh, a Buddha who manifests in a in the enjoyment body and teaches the Arya Bodhisattvas. You know that's a Sambhogakaya Buddha. So several places have the name Akanista. The Akanista that is one of the five pure abodes is a samsaric abode, whereas the densely arrayed Akanista is not. There, a Buddha's enjoyment body teaches Arya Bodhisattvas. Okay? So, you know, when we talk about the different bodies of the Buddha, uh, under the form body, we have the enjoyment body and the emanation body. Okay? So that's uh, where an enjoyment body of a Buddha manifests to teach those Arya Bodhisattvas. Yeah, so so it's a closed community. That one's a gated community, and you can't get a special pass to get in, okay, unless you have that realization. According to the Pali tradition, 
Only arhats and non-returners dwell in the five pure abodes. Those who become non-returners in other realms are reborn in these pure abodes where they attain arhatship. Okay, so if somebody goes from being a once returner to a non-returner when they're in the human realm, then they take rebirth in one of those five pure abodes and attain arhatship there. New arhats remain in those pure abodes until the end of their natural lifespan, and then they pass into parinirvana or nirvana without remainder of the coarse aggregates. According to the treasury of knowledge, yeah, the beings in the form realm lack the sense of smell and taste. Sounds like they have COVID, okay? Uh, but I don't think so. While they have some sensual desire for sights and sounds, it is very weak. Beings with strong desire are born in the desire realm. So, but the beings, uh, these devas in the form realm, they do not eat or sleep, nor do they have sexual desire because they do not have sexual organs in that realm. Okay. Uh, their bodies are subtle forms made of the four elements. Yeah, not gross bodies, but they're still made of the subtle four elements. And their basic state of consciousness is samadhi, although they do emerge from it and interact with each other. And so these, uh, many of these gods are the ones after the Buddha attained uh, awakening when he was wondering, you know, is anybody in the world going to understand what I attained? You know, are they going to think I'm crazy? So these are the gods some of these and some desire realm gods too, went and they were the ones who went, bowed to the Buddha and requested him to give teachings. Yeah. And then they said, you know, there are some beings who have little dust in their eyes, go and, you know, please teach them. And so the Buddha did. So the form and formless realms are collectively known as the higher realms due to the refined states of mind of the beings born in them. Beings are born in these realms by attaining various degrees of meditative absorption. For example, when they were human, medita uh, human meditators. So all of these meditative absorptions can be attained by human beings as well, in which case it is said that the person, the person is in the desire realm, because of being a human being, but they have a form realm sphere of consciousness because their mind has attained the level of meditation uh, that is the same as the mind of these beings in the, in the form realm, okay? So their, their body, their, it said the person, you know, and here it's, you know, with, the person is imputed mostly in, in terms of the body. So they're a human being, you know, and you can see them walk down the street if they come out of their samadhi. But while they're in that concentration, 
they have a sphere of consciousness of the of the form form realm, form realm because that's how deep their state of concentration is. Okay. Then the third realm is the desire realm, and so here we also have uh, six different classes of beings. Okay. So that we have the desire realm devas. And there are six types of them, okay? Some from the highest to the lowest, okay? The highest is the controllers of others' emanations, devas. So they enjoy sense pleasures uh, that others create for them, okay? So this is your lazy way of having sense pleasures, yeah, others create them for them. So Mara, the personification of delusion and desire, dwells here. Okay, so there's different ways to talk of Mara, but one way is as this kind of deva or god. Yeah, that's in the highest desire realm, God, uh, desire realm that is, you know, so absorbed in desire. Uh, kind of like Cupid in a way, and just, inf you know, infects everybody with desire. So Mara is always coming to disturb uh, people who practice the Dharma, you know, by saying, hey there, you know, why are you sitting in pretzel position with your legs crossed? You could be enjoying, you know, this kind of super delight, sense pleasure, or, you know, there, there's a self, you know, somebody's meditating on selflessness, and Mara appears and says, oh, there's a self, you know, just kind of relax, stop your meditation. Okay, so it, often in the scriptures, Mara appears as that being, yeah? But what Mara really is, you know, another way of talking about Mara is Mara's the afflictions, Okay, and Mara is death, which interferes with us practicing. And Mara is our polluted five aggregates, which really interfere. So when we talk of the four Maras, that's what those are. Okay, so the Mara that is a living being is in this desire realm, the, the highest realm of desire realm gods. Okay, then below that, we have the devas delighting in emanations, and they enjoy the sense pleasures they created for themselves. Okay, then below that are called the joyful devas, or uh, tushita, and they experience pure delight. So according to the Pali tradition, Maitreya, or Mateya is how it's said in, in Pali, the Bodhisattva who will become the next wheel-turning Buddha dwells here in the joyful devas, okay, as do other Bodhisattvas in the life prior to their becoming Buddhas. Okay, the Sanskrit tradition, or at least the Tibetan tradition, says that Maitreya lives in a pure land, in the pure land of Tushita, which is on the outskirts of the Deva realm that has the same name, okay? 
show that the Maitreya Bodhisattva is in the suburbs. Yeah? And there's other, uh, you know, God, uh, you know, devas of the desire realm that are in the city. Okay? Then the, the realm below that is the, called the Suyama Devas. And they live in the air and are free from all problems. Then you have the, the uh, 33 Devas, or sometimes called God of the 33, but it's really better is called, to call them the 33 Devas is so-called because 33 young people were born there as a result of their meritorious actions. The leader of this group of youth became the Deva Chakra. Okay, so we often will find mention of uh, Chakra in different sutras uh, who will ask questions to the Buddha or, you know, do things like that. So Chakra presides over this realm and is a devotee of the Buddha. So many devas dwelling here um, live in mansions in the air. So no property taxes. Okay. And during one rain, rains retreat, the Buddha went here to teach his mother who had been born in the realm of the uh, 33 devas. Okay, so we often see that um, painting of the Buddha where it looks like he's stepping down a ladder. That's when, after he taught his mother the Abhidharma, as the story goes, uh, during the, the three months of the Varsa, then he came down to earth after that, on that, that golden ladder. Okay. And then below that, yeah, is the devas of the four great kings. So the four great kings who are Dharma protectors rule this land. And their images are often seen near the door of Mahayana temples. The causes for rebirth here are ethical conduct and generosity. So often in Mahayana temples, uh, when you come like right outside the front door, there will be very big paintings of the, these four uh, guardian kings. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's usually out, out in front. Uh, I went to one temple in China. It was just incredible. The, the four guardians were inside, but they were absolutely enormous. I mean... <laughs> like as tall as the, the height of this room. You know, each one standing in a, direct, a separate direction. Okay, so when we do um, uh, Varsa and we request Waitu Pusa, he's a, well, Waitu Pusa, Pusa means Bodhisattva. So he's a Bodhisattva. I'm not sure what realm he dwells in, okay? Sorry. <laughs> okay, then there's other desire realm beings that we hear, uh, you know, that are talked about, okay? So below the desire realm gods, 
So remember, we have the form realm gods, the formless, formless realm gods, the form realm gods, the desire realm gods. Now there's other desire realm beings that are not gods. So the highest of those are the anti-gods, sometimes called the demigods, or just asuras. So asanga, and like I said before, these are the ones, they live right next to the god realm, you know? And they fight with the gods all the time because the root of like, the fruit trees are in the, the anti-god, the demigod realm. But the branches that where the fruit grows are over the, the border and they're in the god realm. So the god, the gods pick the fruit. The demigods don't get them. So, you know, they're not on very good terms. So there's a lot of fighting there. So it just shows that even you're born as some kind of desire realm god, it isn't going to be hunky-dory. Okay, so Asanga includes the Asuras in the Deva realm and says that they experience great sense pleasure even though they suffer from jealousy and constant battles with higher Devas. Okay, so it's like, well, you can think of some, some things that go on in this country and it's like that. Okay, so one sutra, the Smritipastana Sutra, puts them, um, uh, the asuras, with the hungry ghosts and the animals. Okay. Okay, so we have uh, some things in the footnotes just to review. So uh, Treasury of Dharma explains why the realm of the 33 devas is so-called. Yeah, uh, There are eight wealth gods, 11 wrathful gods, 12 sun gods, and the two young sons of Ashvini. Due to their uh, being these 33 principal gods, that realm is so-called. Or alternatively, due to there being 33 residences of the gods, such as uh, excellent dharma, uh, the meeting place of the gods, and so forth, it is so-called. Okay, So that's explaining the name of the realm of the 33 devas. Um, and then here, the Pali uh, sutras do not speak of asuras as a, a separate realm as they're often spoken of uh, in the Mahayana, okay? But consider, the Pali consider them as having an unfortunate rebirth, okay? They mention asuras who are neighbors of the devas in the land of the 33, but often fight with them. Some Pali commentators say the asuras are in the hungry ghost realm, okay? So they, maybe they still live, you know, next door to the gods of the 33, but it's considered an unfortunate realm because they're cheated out of what they think is theirs, and so they're constantly fighting. So then the next lower realm are the human beings, and, and they have the necessary balance of happiness and suffering that is conducive for dharma practice. Yeah. 
So we have enough happiness that we're not in constant states of misery that make practicing Dharma impossible. Yeah, we have enough happiness for that, but not so much happiness that we become, uh, you know, just addicted to our happiness and our bliss and ignore the Dharma. Okay, so you need kind of that right balance of suffering to remind us we're in samsara and happiness so that we have the mental and physical space to practice. So that's why the human realm is said to be so good for Dharma practice. So even though the desire realm gods and the form and formless realm gods are considered higher pleasure, uh, higher planes of existence, yeah, in terms of their ability to practice the Dharma, um, you know, the human realm is actually the best one. Okay. Aside from, I would say, the non-returners who are already in the pure abodes. Okay, so the pr primary cause for rebirth in as a human being is ethical conduct. But note, not all human beings have precious human lives. You have to have all 18 conditions for that. Then below that is the animals, and they suffer from hunger and thirst, from being enslaved by human beings and being eaten by others. Okay, so sometimes we look at pets and we say, oh, ignorance is bliss. The kitties just sleep all day. They don't have to worry about this and that and the other thing. But no good for practicing the Dharma, okay? No good at all. And they have a fortunate animal rebirth. Most animals uh, are not that fortunate, yeah? They're, they're beasts of labor. They're killed for their furs, for their skin, for their uh, meat, okay? Then uh, below them is the hungry ghosts, or the pretas, and they suffer from constant hunger and thirst that is never satisfied. So they're kind of like uh, our mind uh, when it's totally overwhelmed by craving, and you run here and there looking for something to satisfy your craving. But whenever the, the hungry ghosts, they get close to water, the water turns to pus and blood, and they can't drink it. They get close to food, and uh, their mouths are very small, so they can't get the food in their mouth, or even they get some in, their neck is so thin the food won't go down. Even the food, perchance, goes into their stomach. It burns, and, you know, they have incredible uh, stomach pain. Okay, and then the lowest is the hell beings, or naraks, and they experience great physical pain due to heat, cold, and torture. Worse than water boarding, okay? So, and ethical actions and wrong views are the primary cause for rebirth as a hungry ghost, animal, or hell being. 
Stinginess is especially affiliated with rebirth as a hungry ghost, while violent activities are associated with rebirth in the hells. And with animals, yeah, confusion, being spaced out. So rebirth in any of the six realms is not eternal. Don't confuse this with the Christian, the Judaic Christian vision of heaven and hell, and once you're born there, it's for eternity. Here, we're born in the, the six realms due to causes. The causes are our own karma. When that karmic energy is exhausted, that rebirth ends, and a different karma ripens, and we are projected into a different realm. So none of these things are permanent. You don't always go up when you take one rebirth after another. You can go up and down and up and down like a yo-yo, okay? Worse than a yo-yo. Okay, so rebirth in any of the six realms is not eternal. When the karma causing that rebirth is exhausted, the being is born in another realm. None of the realms are rewards or punishments. Repeat, none of the realms are rewards or punishments. So don't project a theistic view on the different rebirths. Nobody is sending you to one rebirth or another. Okay, You are not rewarded for your virtue. You are not punished for your non-virtue. It's just a system of cause and effect. You plant daisies, you get da you plant daisy seeds, you get daisies. You plant chili peppers, seeds, you get chili peppers. It's just cause and effect. No one is sending you anywhere. No one is directing this system. If there were somebody directing this system, giving rewards and punishments, then we could complain against that person, okay? But there's no one doing it. Hmm? They are all simply results of our actions, our karma. So according to the Pali tradition, okay, you may have heard of Nagas, they're snake-like beings who live in or near water. And on May 3rd, we're going to be doing our annual Naga Puja. We do one every year. Okay. Um, the Tibetans usually think of the Nagas as being in the animal realm and living under the sea. And Nagarjuna is named because... Uh, some of the Prajnaparamita sutras were hidden in the Naga realm, and he went there and brought them back to the human realm. Okay, but the Pali tradition says that the, uh, yeah, well, okay, that they're one. There's a whole list of beings here. So the Naga beings, yeah, so they're like snakes. Yeah, like water snakes in a way, but they can come out of the water too. Then the Gandharvas, or celestial musicians, there's some confusion. Gan Gandharvas is sometimes used 
or a word that's similar to Gandharvas, Gandharvas, maybe it has a B in it or something, that can sometimes be used for uh, beings in the intermediate state. But here we're talking about these celestial musicians. Yakshas is another kind of being. They are tree spirits of varying degrees of ethical purity who resemble goblins, trolls, and fairies. And uh, so all of these, the Nagas, the Gandharvas, and the Yakshas, yeah, live in the realm of the four great kings. So they live in that first uh, desire realm, God realm. But they can interact with, with human beings, you know, just as the uh, four great kings can interact and, and like that. So the treasury of, of knowledge, okay, this is Vasubandhu, says that some yakshas are in the deva realm and some are in the hungry ghost realm. Okay, so different scriptures have different locations for, for the uh, yakshas. Uh, when you do uh, some tantric practices, you make... Um, offerings to different types of beings. Some of them are the yaga, the yakshas, the na, the uh, nagas. Okay, there's many other ones that you do. The crazy makers, the forgetful makers. We're coming up to some of those. Okay. Okay. So Gandharvas are included with the devas because they are musicians of the devas. This is according to Treasury of Knowledge. Then there's the Garudas, so these huge birds. When you see the, um, I don't know what you call it. It's not the Buddha's aura, but there's like a, a mantelpiece or something, horseshoe shape behind the Buddha. At the top of that, you'll see a, a, a Garuda, okay? And... Uh, so they're kind of, they're, they're seen as like the, one of the most powerful birds, kind of like an eagle, okay? Uh, and the uh, Kimnaras, so, so the, then here's, we have a new sentence. The Garudas, who are large birds. The Kimnaras, who are beings who are half human and half horse. We have something similar in Western. Met Seb, how do you say it? Centitar? C-E-N-T-A-U-R. Centitar. Okay. Well, those guys. Okay. So half human, half horse. And the Nagas, okay, so the Garudas, the Kimnaras, and the Nagas are included among animals, according to um, uh, Vasubandhu. The, the Pishakas, okay, who are a class of demons. The Umada are the crazy makers. The Aspas, Aspamara are the forgetful makers. And the Matrikas, uh, a type of wicked demon, they are all included in the hungry ghosts. So some hungry ghosts are suffer from uh, hunger and thirst, and some are these beings 
who's who they can be quite malicious, so they have a lot of suffering in their lives. You know, be, having a malicious mind is is really a state of, of suffering. Okay, so the pishacha unmada and the apasmara amatrikas. Okay, so these realms are actual realms of rebirth. We can get an idea of life in them by con comparing them to some experiences that occur in the human realm. Okay, but they are not beings in the human realm. So the Indian sage Kamala Shila says, humans also experience the sufferings of hell beings and so forth. Those who are afflicted here by having their limbs cut off being impaled, hanged, and so forth by thieves and the like, suffer like hell beings. Okay, so lynchings. Yeah. Lynchings, uh, what ISIS did, uh, beheadings, things like that. Okay, those who are poor and deprived and are pained by hunger and thirst suffer like hungry ghosts. So this could include a lot of people at the border who are hoping for asylum. Those in servitude and so forth whose bodies are controlled by others and who are oppressed suffer from being struck bound, and so forth, like animals. So slaves, uh, indentured servants, people who are so poor that even though they are not slaves or indentured servants, servants they are controlled by their employers. So the magnificent pleasures of the Deva realms can be understood by comparing them to some of the greatest pleasures we human beings experience. Okay, so it's like living on the Upper West Side, is it? An Upper East Side in New York, like living in Beverly Hills, uh, but much, much better. Okay. I don't consider living in New York being pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, however, these are comparing these to, to different states of different places where human beings live. These are simply analogies. They are not the actual experience. The actual bliss of the Deva realms is beyond our imagination, as is the suffering of the unfortunate realms. Seeing the various realms as psychological states can be helpful for recognizing mental characteristics that we may have. And when we recognize that we have these mental characteristics and how much they're associated with the experiences in these different realms, it will energize us to learn how to counteract these afflictions so that we don't get born in these kind of realms. 
Okay, so seeing the various realms as psychological states can be helpful for recognizing mental characteristics we may have. For example, the mental state of a hungry ghost is similar to that of a person who goes here and there looking for someone to love them, but is perpetually dissatisfied with every relationship. Do you know people like that? In one relationship after another, craving love and nothing works out for them. Mm-hmm. The mental, so that's like a hungry ghost, yeah. The mental state of a hell being resembles the mind of someone overwhelmed by fear, animosity, and violence. Okay, so terrorists would be they foreign or domestic terrorists, okay? Somebody who is a serial killer um, or uh, does one of the mass shootings, yeah, or a school shooting, something like that. So it's like how the mind resembles this realm. These human mental states could motivate actions that cause rebirth in these realms. But the actual realms are not simply psychological states of human beings. In the Treasury of Knowledge, Vasubandhu states that the world with its realms and its sentient beings is created by karma. Then he describes the location of some of the realms in relation to our human realm. Although his account is contradicted by modern knowledge, that does not disprove the general existence of these realms. So he may have been mistaken in where he located them, but these realms do exist. We know, for example, that the animal realm exists, okay? And people with the paranormal power of the divine eye can see some of the other realms. Yeah, so we hear stories of people who, you know, can perceive other realms of existence in addition to the animal and the human. Okay, that is our tour of samsara. (laughs) So we'll uh, stop here for questions and comments. when we meditate upon the Prama Viharas, according to the Pali tradition, so the result of that will be uh, rebirth in the first di- dhyana. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless mm-hmm. we have... Um, we but have- there you're seeing, they're called Brahma Viharas, not just because you meditate on love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, but you attain uh, serenity and that level of jhana with that as your meditation object. Yes. Okay. So it's not just kind of regular meditation on those. Can I ask something else? Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a number of questions, Um, but I can. Uh, So we are doing the prayer, um, you know, for animals to be reborn in 33 realms. Um, Why do we not pray to be born in a human realm 
to have a precious human rebirth. Why is that? Uh, <laughs> oh, you you can pray for them to be born in the human realm. Nothing wrong with that. Sure, but we do every morning this special prayer. <laughs> what special prayer? <laughs> Where we bless our food. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, that the animals that we step, the insects that we step on. Mm -hmm. Okay. There, in that context, uh, you know, it's probably thinking because they have more happiness than human beings do. But if you want to dedicate instead for them to be born as human beings, no problem. Can I ask one more question? Uh huh. Um, so. We could also make prayers instead of being born as a human being, having a precious human life to be born in the realm where, for example, Tushita, where a bodhisattva resides, such as um, Maitreya. That's you know, no, I'm, no, no. The 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 Tushita where Maitreya lives mm -hmm. is not a human realm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so you you wouldn't realm. pray to be reborn as a human being in the realm of Tushita. No, but you would pray to be born as a deva um, to be born in that realm. But but. Okay, according, mm. one is the city of Tushita, yes. that's where the devas are. The, you know, where Maitreya is, is in the suburbs, in that Tushita. I don't know who else lives in the suburbs. Okay, they, I think they say that all the thousand Buddhas of this fortunate eon, before they are born as a human being, they, they're in Tushita. But I don't know who else is there. Sure, but it's not recommended to do special prayers. Um, to be reborn in Tushita? I think some people may do that. I have heard that. I yeah. have heard people who are doing prayers um, to yeah, be born in so, Tushita. Yeah. Yeah. So there must be other beings. I don't think Maitreya is alone. Yeah. But I don't know who those other beings are. Yeah. Okay. Sure. They must be nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're going to be a bunch of jerks. Um, yeah. Can I ask one more question regarding uh, to our sure. practice here? We do um, always offer to the hungry ghost a piece of um, leftover yes. food. Yeah. And um, are the uh, the ghosts like the hungry ghosts like Apasmaras, the one who are um, totally forgetful and such, are included in that? No, these are the mm -hmm. hungry, we offer to the hungry ghosts that suffer from hunger and thirst. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, uh, in the Tibetan tradition, we, you know, use, usually they use rice to make it, or, you know, we often use bread, so something that has the imprints of your fingers, and you say the mantra, which allows the hungry ghost to see it as food and, and eat it. We're talking about the different mental states that resemble the different realms Yeah. on the top of page 47. And one of them says overwhelmed by fear, animosity, and violence for mm -hmm. the hell readings. Mm -hmm. What is fear in that context? Fear is when you're panicked and you're terrified and your mind is just, you know, you're, you're afraid of the worst case scenario. Yeah. It's like always daydreaming about the worst case. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would be an, 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 uh, like that, but much worse than what human beings uh, generate in their mind. 
but you can always see, you can see people who are, who are human beings who have a lot of fear. They're, I mean, they're so miserable. Amplified in the... Yeah. Okay. And then the other one for the gods of the 33, it says that they're young people. Does that yeah. mean that they died as babies or what does it mean? That there must be some story about 33 youths who did something and that's why they were born there, but I don't know the story. Maybe you can Google it and find out. So often they say desire Ram gods, there are two engrossed with pleasure to practice Dharma, right? Mm -hmm. But in uh, sutras, they talk about how devas were surrounding um, Buddha and listening to teaching. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And the other thing yeah. is, so uh, Ram of the devas of four great kings and Ram of the 33 devas sounds like a decent place to practice Dharma. They what? Uh, sounds like a good p place to yeah. practice Dharma. Yeah. Though, so I didn't say those beings never practice Dharma or can't practice Dharma. It's just it's harder for them, you know. And you have devas and different spirits like in the forest and everything. And often before you teach, you do a special prayer inviting them to come and listen to the teachings. Okay, so they can hear teachings, they can practice, but compared to a human, re a precious human rebirth, it's not as advantageous. Um, a few of these um, beings are described as malicious, and um, I, in the, some of the scriptures, sometimes there's stories of bodhisattvas um, preaching or teaching the Dharma to malicious demons out of compassion yeah. and I find mm -hmm. that very inspiring for um developing compassion yeah that you know they just see them as other beings that are suffering yeah. just like we are mm -hmm. and we see them as malicious but the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas just see them as their kind yeah. but I'm sure mothers. the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas know that they have a, a big problem with anger Oh, yeah, they do. It's just they aren't afraid of them the way we tend to be right but the, the Buddhas see both our our afflictions and our potential. Yeah. yeah, and the Buddha sees them as their potential too because none of these rebirths are permanent. You could be born as that kind of demon or whatever in one life and then is born as something else in another life. Yeah, yeah. that helps bring that home for me. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah, no, we, we don't just say, oh, they're born in that realm and throw them away. Um, you know, because as you say, the bodhisattvas teach them, and and then beings are born in that realm, and then they're born somewhere else after. Mm -hmm. So when um, bodhisattvas going along the different grounds, and they're developing these amazing ways to concentrate in and out of different dhyanas, mm -hmm. how do these realms help bodhisattvas to cultivate the subtler? the understandings of emptiness on lots of different levels and being able to purify subtler states of yeah. afflictions. Okay. So they usually say for bodhisattvas to attain the path of seeing, they have to, they do that in the context of the fourth dhyana, that somehow that level of concentration is deep enough, but not too deep to really uh, keep your mind on emptiness for a long period of time. And the bodhicitta motivation that's so strong in them would prevent them to ever getting into even thinking about hanging out in these places for yeah. all the wrong reasons. Like right. Self, um, 
yeah, self-nirvana or self-peace. Yeah. That's why our teachers teach us the bodhicitta from the very beginning, even though our bodhicitta is, you know, the most fabricated kind there can be, probably. But the purpose is to put those seeds in our mind so that as we progress, we have in mind, I want to generate bodhicitta, I want to become a Buddha. And so if you hear that again and again and again and again, you're likely in future rebirths to follow that kind of path. So this is why so much is about planting seeds in the mind stream. Uh, when you have an aspiration of bodhicitta, does that mean we don't want to be born on the higher realms? Because it sounds difficult to develop bodhicitta in the higher realms. Well, I just explained that to be to realize path of seeing, as said, bodhisattva, you need that, the fourth dhyana concentration, but you don't want to be reborn there. Okay? It's better to be a human being. I think that some of the gods in, you know, in different dhyanas, they may be able to attain different realizations. I can't remember exactly how it goes. So it's not just human beings who can get the realizations, but it's, it's easier as a human being. Other levels of beings can get certain realizations, but again, I can't remember what. So if you read the Abhidharma, then you can find out. <laughs> There's more. Okay. Um, could you elaborate on how Pure Land differs from the God realm of the 33? If someone passes away in Pure Land, where does that person get reborn? So which Pure Land are they talking about? Is this a Pure Land? Um, not a specific... I'm not one. sure what they mean by Pure Land. I would... I. Okay. Yeah, so I really can't answer that if I don't know specifically. And then one more. Okay, this will be the last question. It yeah. sounds like the gods in the realm of the 33 devas exist there permanently. If, if not, when they are born elsewhere, do other beings take their place as, you know, there's a fixed number of gods in that realm? <laughs> uh, yeah, I assume so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, the god realm, you know, you live there for a long time. But I'm sure when you get reborn, somebody else takes over your job, you know? <laughs> Oh, they said they were asking about the Pure Land of Sukhavati. Uh, you don't die from the Pure Land of Sukhavati, okay? You don't die there. Um, they say that uh, some people say you attain Buddhahood there. Some people say that you have to, again, uh, come to the human realm and practice Tantra for your very last life. So there's different views on that. Okay. So let's dedicate.